podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in today. Last week, I had the opportunity to head to Salt Lake City, my hometown, uh, for a visit. And I sat down with a friend of mine, Matt Monson, who's been influential in some of the things I've done um, on my entrepreneurial journey. And uh, sat down with Matt, got some great nuggets for you guys. He's a teacher at the Salt Lake Community College Fashion Department uh, pertaining to entrepreneurship. He has a background in uh, brick and mortar retail, things like that. He's also an artist and a huge part of his community there in Salt Lake. He's really built something really special there um, and, and brought the community together in, in a lot of ways. And so I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this podcast today. I'd like to welcome Matt Monson. Well, Matt, welcome to Authentic Entrepreneur, the podcast. Hey, pleased to be here. And I'm super stoked to be catching up with you. It's been three or four years. Too long. Yeah. It's been a while. Too long, for sure. <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, Authentic Entrepreneur is about real people living their truth through entrepreneurship. And so, when I first created this in the beginning of the year, you were one of the first people that came to my mind when I was thinking about guests. Thanks, man. You know, um, I've seen you as an entrepreneur, as a teacher, and not only that, but you're teaching other entrepreneurs, influencing them. You're a part of the community, um, an artist yourself. You know, so all those things that this podcast is about is, is what, you know, I see in you. So I'm excited to kind of just cool. chit-chat, bullshit, and see where it goes. Hell yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, why don't you, if you would, kind of introduce yourself and give a quick bio to the listeners. All right. Um, so my name is Matt Monson. Uh, when I paint, I go by Matt Monsoon. <laughs> um, and yeah, by default, I am an entrepreneur, a dreamer, an artist, an adventurer, and uh, that's what makes me happy. I, um, you know, I always kind of felt like there was a better way to do life, you know, to make it your own adventure rather than just doing the nine to five. And um, big part of that uh, was coming out of college. I uh, studied to be a graphic designer because I wanted to find a way to make money off of art. And um, started chasing jobs, you know, right out of college. I went from uh, this one place to another place and then found a, like, a high paying job at this sign and graphics company in West Salt Lake that I thought would be great. And, you know, I was, uh, I was making like Forty-two, $45,000 right out of college and was just stoked on this cool job. And as the uh, months went on though, I realized I was just a cog in the machine. I was, um, I was creating, well, I was actually just processing graphics for like billboards and bus wraps and things like this. And I wasn't a creative part of the process. I was just a part of the uh, production line and got really frustrated with that. Um, at the time I was reading a book called The the Art of Being Idle, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had talked about how some of the uh, great artists and dreamers over the years had, um, you know, they'd actually like found a way where they just refused to be a part of like nine to five society and uh, how they'd gone on and done their own things, you know, and it, 
was talking about creating the life he wanted, um, about working less, dreaming more, pursuing the things that you loved, and it really kind of hit home with me. And uh, there was a uh, there was a day that I'd been out on my lunch break and I was finishing off that book, and you know, I was just like something clicked, and I was like, you know what, like, yeah. <laughs> so, 20, 24 year old me walks in and. And the boss uh, that day had decided to pick some sort of bone with me, and I can't remember what the issue was, but I, uh, I basically stormed out. Um, <laughs> told them, told them where to stick it, and uh, and uh, rode off on my bike that day, and never came back. And that was the last time I worked for a corporate job. Um, I went home and uh, told my girlfriend and was like hey I quit my job isn't that great and uh, she was like what are you gonna do and so that was the start of entrepreneurship for me I started uh, doing freelance graphic design and uh, spent a lot of time fixing up the home we were in and the Salt Lake market was uh, pretty red hot at the time and sold the house and made a good amount of money and I thought okay what do I want to do with this so I uh, went in and started my own first business uh, a year and a half later. Um, moved up to Logan, Utah and started a vintage clothing store um, called the Bombshell Exchange and it was, uh, it was a fantastic place in this old historic building um, and uh, we did vintage clothing as well as like working with local designers. and. Uh, that, that was really fun. I got to meet a lot of people and kind of progressed through that. Um, and then after about a year and a half of being there though, I was like, man, I miss Salt Lake. I really miss Salt Lake. And I had a dream one night about um, going to my store and I'd set up shop and open the door, set up the chairs out front because I always had chairs in front of my business. Uh, even when I ended up moving to Salt Lake later, was having my morning coffee and sitting out there and in the dream there was people riding bikes by and skateboarding and just all these people waving and saying hello and Logan at the time was not that kind of town yet, it was still uh, in its awkward growth phase which I think it's still kind of going through where they can't decide if they want to be a charming historic mountain town or a suburb and um, anyway, had that dream and had decided to move to Salt Lake, back to Salt Lake, and uh, open, a, open a store there instead. And anyway, fast forward uh, six months later, and I've got my store in Salt Lake City. We opened up on Broadway uh, with a little store called Model Citizen. Um, and at that point, I, I was done with vintage clothing. I was tired of sorting through trash bags of clothes. <laughs> And uh, really liked, I really liked the idea though of doing, working with local artists and designers though. That was a big emphasis of, of Model Citizen. And uh, one morning, I'd set up the chairs out in front of the store and I'm sipping my morning coffee. And I'm just deja vu, man. Like people riding by, ringing their bike bells, oh, yeah. kids skating by, and people were like, yo, Matt, what's up? And yeah. I was just like, holy shit, That's this dope. is it, this is it. And, uh, that turned out to be a fantastic, you know, fantastic decision for me and really kind of dove me into um, entrepreneurship in Salt Lake City, building a big network of friends and artists and designers and community.
uh, which is one thing I've always loved about being here, is you know the the feeling of like a of a you know intimate community neighborhood in a city. You know, it's like it's a small city or a big neighborhood. Nobody can quite figure it out. That's the magic of Salt Lake. You know, it's very small. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I come back and uh, you can drive anywhere within 20 minutes. Yeah, you can ride your bike across across the city in a matter of uh, 20 minutes. Yeah, you can get anywhere. Right? I mean, and then I'll easily run into you know a lot of the same people, which is kind of fun because you know you can go catch up with them. They're doing their thing. Yeah. Some people have left, but not many. Yeah. Now it's got a magnetic pull once you've been here, you know. <laughs> As you know, here you are in, back in Salt Lake City. <laughs> now it's a fantastic place though, and it's a great place for entrepreneurship. I mean, now that's just coming from like a personal perspective. You know, there's been uh, a lot of you know uh, what newspaper articles and stuff on it too, rating it as one of the place, best places for entrepreneurship. And I think that is because of the song, strong sense of community, and yet you have. The infrastructure and the bones of a mid-sized city, but it's still comfortable. You know, you got friends, and you—I mean, it's the kind of place. Like at least a few years ago, you know, I could go out almost any night to a bar or a concert or whatever, and you know, it doesn't matter if you're rolling solo because you're going to run into a bunch of friends when you get there. Uh, it is changing a little bit that way. It's growing real fast, um, but it's a good place, man. It's, it's it's the Denver everybody thought was, <laughs> you know, it's the it's the real Denver, right? It's not the uh, same city, but we are actually up on the mountains and beautiful place. So, yeah. Um, then, so from uh, yeah, model citizen. What year was that about? That was two thousand six when I opened that. Yeah, model citizen was a great run um, when I opened on Broadway. It was a row of largely empty stores. There's a few antique stores and a lot of vacancies, you know, and I thought, well, this is close to downtown and a coffee shop just opened up down the street. This, this could be okay. We'll give it a shot, you know, rent was cheap. And uh, after opening the store, uh, we focused on uh, local made product in addition to US made sweatshop free clothing, gifts, and accessories. That was a big point for us. It was like, I didn't want to just be selling, you know, uh, Chinese fast fashion, stuff that might have any kind of, you know, exploitive tendencies to it. Um, especially in clothing, you gotta, you gotta really watch it. It's second dirtiest industry in the world, and by that I'm talking straight pollution. You know, yeah. the, the, the uh, fallout from just the production of clothing Second dirtiest industry next to oil. That's what I've gnarly. heard. Yeah, gnarly. And then uh, when you factor in the human toll, right, um, it's, it's maybe arguably the dirtiest industry. You know, that cheap clothing comes at a price somewhere, even if you're not paying for it on the ticket. So we decided we we're going to reformat that and do something different. Um, and as, uh, as, as, you know, the months rolled on, the years rolled on, all of a sudden we were surrounded by art galleries, coffee shops, record stores, skate shops, bicycle stores, like it just boomed, and Broadway bloomed into this beautiful local business uh, hotspot, you know, tons of like 
30-something or 20-something entrepreneurs yeah. uh, and a really fun place to just be doing stuff. Um, and then as part of that, there was a point that hit that I was like, you know what, working with these local artists is a blast, but like they don't have a forum to showcase their work. And uh, you know, Salt Lake's got a good art scene, and you know, every third Friday of the month, it's a gallery stroll, and we put a big emphasis on, you know, uh, painters and sculptors and visual artists of all sorts. But there was nothing for these makers, you know, all these like really cool like fashion, fashion. designers or like, you know, in your case, you know, like bag makers and like products and accessories. There's so much cool stuff. And so we started uh, something called the Salt Lake City Fashion Stroll, which, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, really <laughs> resembled nothing of a fashion show. It was very Matt Matt Monson version of what I thought it should be. Uh, so this this involved like a street festival with like stilt walkers and fire throwers and punk rock bands, and uh, and then of course runway shows. Uh, down the sidewalk initially the first couple of years and then uh, we found home under the awning of a, of a local dry cleaner <laughs> it was just it's just total like a uh, total punk rock approach to this this idea of just bringing community together and highlighting what was what was being made locally here in Salt Lake so huge emphasis for me and as time went on um, and competition expanded you know, all of a sudden Salt Lake went through this retail boom, you know, where within a mile I had a new Urban Outfitters and American Apparel and H&M and all this kind of coming up and fast fashion was really kind of sinking its teeth in. And I thought, well, you know, I got to diversify a little here as an entrepreneur. What makes my store unique, right, is, is the artists and entrepreneurs that are contributing to it, like locally made product, fashion, uh, you know, gifts, jewelry, accessories, like all this stuff is so cool and nobody else has this shit. And so, um, partly out of necessity to uh, kind of define our niche and partly just out of straight passion for what was happening, um, we reformatted and went entirely locally made product, which was super cool. Um, and at that point we were representing over 50 different artists in the Salt Lake area. Um, Everything from jewelry to shoes to like denim, uh, bags, we had uh, even a sunglass guy, like hats, uh, you name it, you know? Like anything that you bought in the store though was coming from Salt Lake City and supporting other local artists. And that was just building up this really awesome community. Um, and what, in 2010, uh, we got we got a little spotlight in the New York Times about it, which blew right. my mind. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. They, I mean, you know, I'm not talking like front page article, but sure. we got like two paragraphs about this store that was selling all local made product in Salt Lake City, and um, you know, that was kind of cool. But I think some of the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest like rewards from it was just building community, you know, and then these ended up being. Uh, friends, you know, and community for life, you know, where like we still keep in touch even though you're yeah. located in Austin now. It's like uh, this just brought like a whole group of really good, solid people together. And, um, you know, that was probably the biggest benefit. I never got rich from doing it, yeah. you know, in terms of the bank account, but man, it really like expanded uh, 
my social world and my community and just you know enriched everything that made yeah. it awesome yeah that's cool so then a lot of times I tell the guests how I know you but maybe you can try to think about how we knew how yeah how we got together yeah you know and I'm gonna be fuzzy on exactly what the uh, what the first time was but Chad was working uh, with another fella named Jason and uh, uh, Chad was a coffee expert Jason was a uh, he was working for an awning company in uh, Salt Lake and together the two of them put their minds together and said hey you know what what about all these cool old coffee bags like they've got all these cool prints on them they're coming from around the world let's maybe sew together these like messenger bags you brought your product in I've never seen anything like it and was like dynamite you know let's <laughs> let's let's put you guys in and start selling and um, sales were good right right from the start on that yeah um, it was it was just cool to like see that kind of stuff come through, you know. And some of my artists like you didn't even have to necessarily seek it out. Like artists started coming to you, saying, Dude. "Totally, yeah, totally." And that was the coolest thing is you never knew what would be walking in the door <laughs> on any given day, man. And you know, some of the artists uh, like went on to like do really well. Um, uh, you know, like some of them ended up doing like going bigger like nationally where like um, got at least a few of them that are like distributed through grocery stores or like uh, like discreet clothing for example speak of which yep. Julian would be another good good yeah. interview if you haven't hit him up yet but discreet clothing I remember he came in one day Julian Carr uh, world record holder awesome skier uh, holds two world records for the highest cliffs jumped and when he jumps cliffs, he, he doesn't just like jump them, he like does double backflips off them. Uh, and I think his highest, you know, I, I'm gonna be misquoted here somewhere, but it's like 200 and something feet. So the guy's, the guy's amazing uh, as a skier, but even more amazing as a person, super down to earth. Um, and you know, also uh, just kind of the same mindset where he came in one day with like a bag of beanies. He said, "Hey, I, I'm selling these beanies." And it wasn't until later that I learned his story. But he was like, "Yeah, I I do really heinous stuff on my skis. You know, that's how I'm paid. I'm sponsored, and this and that." But he's like, "You know, I've got a good brain in here too. You know, and if I ever am injured, I want to put my brain to work uh, because you know, at some point, I'm not going to want to drop 200 foot cliffs anymore. You know, I'm going to want to yeah. build something for myself." Um, and he. Uh, so he started with beanies, and I was one of the first two stores, I think it was us in Salty Peaks or Milo Sport, yep. uh, you know, prominent uh, local snowboard shops, like fixtures of the snowboard scene here. And uh, yeah, started selling his beanies, and they just went well, and then he just kept upping the quality, and then over the years, he's expanded into parkas and jackets and flannels and bags, and he's got a whole lifestyle brand now. Um, and then a couple years ago, they signed on with Zoomies. And yeah, Zoomies distributed, Island. you know, internationally. Um, second biggest ski headwear line, specifically, in, in the world at this point, which is pretty cool. So, kind of cool to see uh, all the different stories. I mean, some people went big, some people kept it scaled down, but like all of them were a total success in my mind because everybody got to roll the dice. They 
did something for themselves and uh, you know that's that's kind of the coolest adventure that way I right? agree yeah in fact uh, I was kind of uh, wondering how to get to that next level when I approached you and, and we talked about it and you said you need to be in this farmers market on Sunday that's where it's at and so that next season I was there and I was on the corner every weekend and I would sell bag after bag after bag yeah and that was awesome and then a couple years later I'm like all right well what's that next level and I thought you know this is a coffee thing where's the coffee capital of the world right Seattle yeah Pike's place yeah I'm like if this thing's gonna work that's the spot so I rolled the dice again, moved there, and, and I sold every bag that I made. No shit. Every bag. Awesome. I had to buy them back just so I had some extra stuff. That's because, cool. Because, like, every bag I made, I worked selling them, selling them, but then the problem was I had to go sit down with the sewing machine and make more bags. And that's where I said, you know what, I'm not, I don't want to be a seamstress. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I like the design and I like the interfacing with the customer. I didn't like sewing. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, so that's when I'm like, all right, I'm good with this. Yeah. Time to just kind of wrap it up, move on to something else. That's the beauty though, man. It's like, you know, I've always argued there's, there's another, there's a parallel way to live life that, uh, you know, you don't have to be completely consumed by the machine right you know uh, metaphorically like there's there's an alternate way to do life by kind of choosing your own adventure i loved those books as a kid you know and i like haven't been able to wean myself off of it as an adult like there's just there's cooler ways to approach life where you can do uh you can do your own jam but you have to you have to be willing to roll the dice um and you know you may not make it rich most local business owners i know are not wealthy people uh but there's a real reward that comes from you know being able to pursue your own dreams and i think that uh that has bigger payoff than you know say like an extra zero on your bank account although i like that sometimes sometimes yeah <laughs> yep i agree with that so what point did you get into the teaching uh, at the Fashion Institute? Yeah. Community College Fashion Institute? Yeah. Yeah, how did yeah. you get involved in that? So, uh, I started teaching in, at Salt Lake Community College in 2009. Um, and there was, uh, that actually turned into a really busy time. I was still running Model Citizen. Um, and I was doing the fashion strolls. Those were getting bigger and bigger. Um, you know where we where we were starting to shut down Broadway because there was too many people like it just spilled out into the street, uh, which was cool. Um, but I started also working with uh, the community college, Salt Lake Community College, because they have this great little fashion program there, and I was like, oh shit, you know, I'm totally missing this opportunity to work with like, you know, the up and coming uh, designers. So I invited the school to participate. Um, with uh, the fashion stroll. And in the process of doing that, I met the uh, director of the program and a few of the staff, and they were like, hey, we love what you're doing here. Would you ever consider teaching? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna be a teacher. Like, my dad was a teacher, man. Like, that's that's not what I do. 
But I, uh, I changed my mind and I said, yeah, took that on in 2009. I've been teaching there since, so nine years, nine years now of teaching That's there. Awesome. And uh, truthfully, one of the more rewarding jobs I've ever had. Really quite enjoy that. Um, because again, though, it's like sharing uh, your knowledge and what you love and then helping other people grow. I mean, I guess that was already embedded in me a little bit uh, through Model Citizen or Fashion Stroll or any of that was I loved creating a community and then like trying to connect the dots. I feel like that's a real missing part of, uh, of society right now is like, we've got like, you know, this person makes incredible shoes and this person's making denim and you're making these really rad coffee bags and where do you sell them, right? And how do you promote them? And it's like, I kind of like playing that role in the middle where I'm like, how can I help connect the dots, right? How can I take your awesome stuff and this person's awesome stuff and this band that needs a gig and, you know, and combine them all into one thing where everybody uh, creates some sort of synergy that's bigger than the sum of its parts, right? And you actually make something happen. I mean, I would argue that that's the whole, uh, that was the whole basis of, of Broadway blowing up, you know, or of downtown uh, coming together as well. It's like when local businesses started to work with each other, when artists started to work with each other, when we started creating events and connecting those dots and all of a sudden, all of a sudden you went from like having all these like individual sparks, you bring them together, add some kindling, you know, and boom. You know, we, we totally <laughs> lit it all on fire. And it was yeah. just, yeah, it was totally changed uh, the approach, you know? So being able to be a part of that was awesome, you know? And it's uh, it's something I want to see, um, you know, continue to happen and want to be involved with. Uh, you know, like maybe the downside of that is we gentrified the shit out of the city. <laughs> right? I can't, it's more expensive. Can't afford now. a house here anymore, but... <laughs> But it is, it is a much more interesting, vibrant place to live. And um, that's not come because, you know, oh, you, you got a new, what, cheesecake factory, right? right? It's not about that shit. It's about like, what actually happens from the community level, at grassroots level. It's what makes, uh, you know, any community interesting. And in Salt Lake's case, um, it's been a big boon is because of the local art scene, the local maker scene, uh, the music scene. Um, local businesses, you know, that actually add flavor, add culture, add something that's that's different. I mean, nobody wants to hop on a plane and travel seven hours to go to the, the nearest mall. Yep. There's a Victoria's Secret in every damn town, you know? Yep. There's the same, can I say fucking? Same fucking, like, 100 stores, 50 stores at any given mall across the U.S. Like, what we need is stuff that actually... Um, becomes a placemaker for a community. What makes Salt Lake, you know, Salt Lake is, you know, places like uh, the red iguana, you know, like some of the best Mexican food yeah. you can get your mouth on, you know? Or like, uh, you know, yeah, like our, our snowboard shops, or, uh, you know, just some of the, like, the little haunts and the holes in the wall, and, you know, you're wearing a chocolate conspiracy sweatshirt right now, you know, yeah. it's just like, there's things to Salt Lake that make it really unique, and not just our mountains and our canyons and our beautiful landscape, but it's, it's a lot of it's about the culture, right? You don't go to Paris to go to McDonald's, you go there because of the culture. What's uniquely Paris, or what's right. uniquely Bangkok, or whatever it is you know, that you're gonna go see, 
and uh, I think Salt Lake started to grasp that, and it's and it's cool. It's yeah. kind of come in waves. Yeah, I feel like yeah, but yeah. It's definitely mm -hmm. it's here. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, also in 2009, I took on a job working for Local First Utah, which was kind of like, oh, well, this this is a perfect fit. It's a nonprofit organization. Um, dedicated to promoting an awareness of the importance of local businesses. Uh, so that that just kind of went hand in hand with everything I've been doing already. Um, and uh, spent the next couple of years traveling the state, meeting with other local business owners, uh, building little grassroots um, nodes in different cities, getting people, hey, Whoa, that's vintage as hell. <laughs> that's great, man. Yeah, I found that. Yeah, I like that, that. old business card. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, that was a really cool experience too. And um, you know, I spent a couple years there and then a couple years over at their sister organization. And then at some point, uh, the, the spark hit where I was just like, you know, I, uh, I loved doing a brick and mortar retail store, but it's hard, right? Like you're, your overhead is for real, especially when you're selling local, uh, local made product. Uh, your margins are pretty low because you're trying to take care of your artists and pay them what they deserve, and yet at the same time trying to manage your retail prices so they're not too, uh, you know, not too intimidating for the consumer. You know, how do you make that work? It's hard in brick and mortar, right? And uh, I sold Model Citizen off in 2010. Um, did the fashion stroll for another year after that uh, and then kind of just stepped away from it while I was working nonprofits and at the community college and then um, a couple years ago kind of came full circle where I was like man I love doing that though how can I do that how can I do that smarter yeah. and uh, that's where the idea of the salt miner um, became uh, more of a thing so the saltminer.com is my baby project uh, that I'm working on. Um, hopefully by the time listeners are uh, listening to this, we'll have the site revamped again. I put it under construction mm. a couple months ago to try to give it a refresh and I want to tweak some things to it. Uh, but the concept is with the saltminer.com, what we're trying to do is what we were doing at Model Citizen, which is connecting the dots, putting local artists uh, in front of people that are interested in ethically made local products from Salt Lake City, uniquely Salt Lake uh, made products. And so uh, the, the beauty of this is too, is that I was able to do it um, with e-commerce coming in as much as it has, very low overhead, worldwide exposure, how can we grow this, right? Yep. And I, uh, I'm not here to plant a flag in it and call it a success yet. It's, it's still in its, in its uh, infantile stages, but um, believe in it. I think it's a neat thing and it really is just about connecting the dots right like that uh, local makers and artists and designers we can all run our own individual websites we can all you know blast it out there on your social media about how great your stuff is and whatever but how cool would it be if we could connect the dots and make a community of artists and makers all showcasing the product in the same place, hyping each other, doing community events under the banner of a collective like the Salt Miner, and uh, making something bigger happen. 
Uh, so that was the genesis of the idea and uh, kind of the fuel that, that keeps me going on this is I'd really like to see this all kind of go. Yeah. And you did an event for it last year? Yeah, we've actually done events the last couple years for it. Um, we held our last event at Impact Hub, Salt Lake. Um, we've done this on the solstice, winter solstice each year. Uh, and it's a two or three day market. This last year was two years, or two days. <laughs> uh, two day market. And uh, fill the building up with booths and vendors and have bands and DJs come in. Uh, usually we're lucky enough to get sponsored by some of the local beer and alcohol liquor companies. and. It ends up being kind of a great way to gather with friends, see what's going on in the community. Um, kind of a wintertime farmer's market, but a little more focused and curated. And uh, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of stuff that gets me, gets me excited, you know? So when you, I'm gonna back up to your teaching. Mm -hmm. You teach in the fashion realm, but mm -hmm. as an entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, so I, I teach a few classes. I do like uh, retail management. I do um, visual merchandising, like the art of retail display and window displays and all yeah. that, which is kind of an extension of where I've always been as a designer or artist. And then um, the uh, the third one I, that I teach is uh, fashion entrepreneurship, which I feel is a big deal, yeah. um, just because you know. When we look in the creative industries, whether you're a visual artist, fashion designer, musician, anything like that, you go get a, like a nice arts degree in college, cool, but the truth is, all those students are 500% more likely to go into business for themselves than a typical college graduate, right? So five times more likely to go launch their own business. And yet, in those right brain genres, you know how this goes, right? We, we, think in color and smells and memories and yeah. music and things like that. So sometimes like the idea of laying out like business financials or something like that is just like completely intimidating. Or filing quarterly taxes or like trying to figure out how you're gonna raise <laughs> funds or you know, put together a business plan, which is what we spend the entire semester doing. And so it's a, it's an entrepreneurship class uh, taught specifically for right brain dreamers. Um, and it's kind of one of those soft skills that I feel like is really missing from most art programs anyway, right? It's like, you know, let's be honest, because like, you know, in the case of fashion, it's like, chances are pretty good that like Prada or Marc Jacobs are not going to scoop you up, you know? Right. Same in art, like, you know, you may be great at stuff, but like Pixar is gonna probably not come pick you up, you know, unless you just like top 1% of the 1%, you know? Um, and that's not to discourage anybody from following those dreams and pursuing it and being your very best, but you should have the skills to be able to create your own. Make your own way. And that's, that's the whole idea is like, okay, cool, you've got all this creative talent. The world needs that, right? It's lacking. It's totally missing. But the problem I find with most creatives is the inability to, um, to put the right brain together with the left brain, to have a dream and then write an action plan, you know? Or want to open a store and pair that with business financials or go make a pitch to a microloan funding organization and say, hey, I need $50,000, here's the idea, here's why it works. 
here's my business plan. Yeah. You know, that's the hardest part for right brainers, right? The dream, the dream is free, but the, the hustle, you gotta, you gotta mm -hmm. pay the price, right? Yeah, I've met a few people coming out of design school on my journey, and you know, I, I'm like, I want to see you take off and do something, but then they're working at Nordstrom. Right. You know, I'm like, right. man, you have so much potential, and you're just wasting it at Nordstrom selling their yeah. clothes. Yeah. It's sad. And yet, like, you know, uh, the the world's most wealthy people, for those that are self-made, right? Like, if you didn't just inherit dad's money or, you know, trust fund kid or whatever, the world's wealthiest self-made millionaires and whatever, uh, I don't remember the stats exactly on it, but it's a disproportionate number, are um, entrepreneurs and uh, people working incentive-based jobs. Like, so basically people willing to take that risk, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you go and work a job for you know, even 60 or 100 grand or whatever, great. You know, you can feed a family and have a house and whatever, but you're never going to go bigger than that, per se, and it's never going to be your jam. Right, so it's not just about getting rich. Like that's that's all well and good too, and most entrepreneurs don't. But um, you know, at the end of life, I'd like to look back and say that I'd uh, that I'd gone and pursued a lot of like my dreams and ideas and whatever. And if let's say that you can actually make that a success, then good on you, man. You know, right on. Like that's that's something uh, pretty commendable at that point. I remember you mentioning uh, a company called Best Pocket. Yeah. Was that something financial related or what was that? So, yeah, uh, after Local First Utah 2012, 2013, I went and uh, accepted the executive director position at Best Pocket uh, Business Coalition. That's their full name, Best Pocket Business Coalition. And that's a nonprofit group um, dedicated to business owners here in Salt Lake City. Uh, and it's, uh, it had a slightly different mission. It's a sister organization to Local First Utah, um, but Local First was dedicated to uh, raising awareness and educating about the importance of local businesses. Vest Pocket was more of an advocacy group for local businesses. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, a little bit more involved in the ins and outs of like small business rights, um, you know, working a little more closely with the city to uh, help sway ordinances or changes or whatever that can help okay. local businesses grow. Um, and so, you know, both really good organizations, a lot of fun to work for. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's another thing for entrepreneurs out there is, uh, you know, find, find that uh, support group, right? Find your, find your network. One of the hardest parts about being a small business or an entrepreneur is you get that uh, echo chamber of like, you know, always working in your garage or like, you know, always like working in your little rented office or whatever and just kinda, you, you kinda just uh, lack that community to bounce ideas off of, right? right. And I think that's why some of these like co-located uh, office spaces like your impact hubs or church and state or whatever, we've got several of them in the city now why those are beneficial is you can create a community of other like-minded entrepreneurs doing their thing. Um, but there's also those nonprofit groups out there that are there to help you and can help create community from 
you know, these individual businesses doing their thing and say, hey, let's connect the dots. Aren't we How better? We connect the yeah. dots. How do we connect the dots? We're, we're stronger together, right? Yep. You know, so nobody truly is an army of one. You got to always like think about that, you know, that you'll be a lot better if you can work with other like-minded people, especially if you're an entrepreneur, work with other entrepreneurs, right? How do right. we all help each other up? And I think that's that's kind of one of the one of the secret sauces of, uh, of success that way. Don't right. get your ego caught up in you know mm -hmm. what you're doing, but mm -hmm. you know use your strength and find the other guy to fill the weakness. Absolutely, I believe in that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know like uh, I mean from local first uh, Utah. Like when I was working that organization, that was one of the things we really have to hammer in with other local business owners is like. You guys are not each other's competition, right? When local business succeeds, all local business generally succeeds. Like, you know, it's more about changing public perception to supporting their neighbors and the mom and pop businesses and growing their own authentic community that's actually representative of that place, you know? Um, and when you work together and you build a stronger local business community or entrepreneur community, uh, the rising tide does lift all the boats there. The competition really is, um, it is the, it is more so the, the Walmarts and Targets and Amazons of the yeah. world is how do we, like how do we emphasize the importance of, uh, you know, a product that is made with uh, people, planet, and profit in mind? How do you support local businesses that actually um, throw a bigger benefit to your community? You know, like, once you change the public mindset on that, you're not competing with other local businesses. You know, you're competing with with the with the obstacles of uh, convenience or low prices or you know big box incentives that they're always throwing out. Um, one one interesting thing from local first Utah, right, is we'd heard this. Uh, we'd heard the reports uh, that had been done in several cities about how local businesses, local entrepreneurs, they, uh, they're recirculating more money into the economy than big boxes, right. right? And the stats at the time were about three times more money is recirculated back into a local economy when you spend it with a local business versus a big box store. Um, and so we thought, well, hey, that's really interesting. Let's bring those researchers out and have them do a study specific to Salt Lake City. Um, so we brought those guys out in 2011. Uh, the group's called Civic Economics. They're actually based in Austin, Texas. Um, and uh, we flew them out. And uh, they came in and did studies with 20-something local businesses here in uh, the downtown area. Um, and then another dozen or so in the 9th and 9th District, 15th and 15th, Sugar House. Studied these different areas. Uh, really dove deep, and I can't speak to their methodology, but I know they were digging through books and records and sales taxes and um, you know donations and everything. And uh, they came out uh, with a figure uh, for every dollar spent at a big box store in Salt Lake City, uh, the average amount of that dollar that recirculates into the community is only 14 cents. So about 14% of all money at a Shopco or Target or whatever comes back and is spent here in the community and that mostly comes just through employee wages, right? So the yeah. cashier guy or the Walmart greeter 
uh, that's where the money comes back into the economy. Whereas when spent at a local business, um, the stat was 53% of the money is recirculated back in the economy when you spend it with the local business. And so we came out with a stat that was more like, oh, four wow. times more money is recirculated back into your community when you spend with a local business versus corporate business, right? Because the chains, they don't hire uh, local accountants and local marketing firms and, you know, they're not giving in the same proportion to, you know, oh, the high school, you know, is trying to raise money for a new football field or an arts program or yeah. whatever. They're, uh, they don't, they do not return money back into a community that way, nor are they sourcing local products at the same rate. Um, when we took it into, like, studying restaurants, the number was way higher even, like something like 85% of, of your money spent at a local restaurant recirculates in a local community. We've got a lot of farm-to-table restaurants that are working with local farmers and dairy people, and, you know, the servers are taking a lot more money home, the management's all local, they've got a local accountant, designers, ad companies. So there's just a, there's a huge, like, there's a total logical mathematical argument of why to support local, why to invest in other entrepreneurs, or why to be one yourself. You know, yeah. you want to see your community bettered or grow, it comes down to um, supporting and, you know, and we're being or creating local business. And, uh, you know, not to mention a sense of place or authenticity or culture that Which comes with, first with the place. Yeah, yeah. building the culture. Yeah, so yeah, it's twofold, you know, economic and just sense of sense of place you know which i think is really important too definitely yeah that's part of what i want to share with this podcast is that exactly where i mean we have amazon that's just taken over and that's great they're they serve a purpose right. but be weary of it and be aware of what you can can do with your, your own community and supporting locals for sure right exactly for sure. like i mean i still order my like hard to find you know usb cables and you know weird audio jacks i mean there's no radio shacks anymore you know so like you know i will i will go to amazon for those hard to find like little bits and pieces but um i do still try to go out of my way to support locally owned businesses like even on things like groceries that's important you know and there's a lot of good uh local grocery chains that are going to be you know better or like stopping in at the corner market you know um, supporting local uh, clothing stores. I don't shop a ton, <laughs> but you know, I will. I will hit that. And then restaurants too. I always like kind of keep that figure in mind. I mean, I don't like corporate food in the first place, right? Right. And we got way better restaurants in Salt Lake that are Salt Lake based than any chain out there. But you know, it's just little things like that. And one of the things we kind of hit on with local first is like, hey, we're not trying to demonize the WalMarts and whatever of the world. We're just suggesting that you consider local first, right? It's not about like, you know, everybody's gotta go militant and shut out all the big boxes and all the corporate chains, like whatever. You know, your grandma wants to go to Olive Garden, well, that's that's a terrible choice. But you know what, like, <laughs> go, you know, treat grandma to some breadsticks and all you can eat salad, you know? Like, it's not the end of the world. Uh, but in our day-to-day -day choices, it's just about making those little shifts Right, and uh, so it doesn't have to be like a, uh, you know, like a veganism mindset of like, oh, you gotta totally like forego anything that has corporate ties. But 
man, you make little shifts and it makes a huge ripple effect on the economy. And as more as we can get more and more of like community and society doing this and seeing the value of what small businesses and entrepreneurs bring to a place, um, then bam, you know, we've created something really amazing. And the world can continue globalizing and connecting and getting more high tech and whatever. But if we, uh, if we give everybody a fair shot at pursuing their dreams, at creating their own business, and we're there to all support each other, then uh, the world will continue to be a diverse and interesting and unique place um, and healthier, you know, yeah. uh, in terms of economy and sense of well-being, you know. So I think that's that's a big part of the value. Dude, awesome, man. Well, I feel like you've said some great things, man. Do you have anything else you want to add to maybe the the guy that's thinking about entrepreneurship, maybe wondering, you know, should I dip into it or yeah. I feel like you kind of hit on that. I mean, yeah. it's time, man. Yeah. Uh, if you're out there listening, um, I would say, yeah, go for it. I, you know, measure twice, cut once, right? Really think you're playing through, but also to, uh, you know, to strike while the iron's hot, you know, like if you got an idea and you want to go for it, you know, like it's not all going to line up without you taking some risks, without you like working at it. You know, there is a leap of faith involved in going from uh, you know dream concept into making it work. Uh, as old school as it sounds, writing a brief business plan, and I'm talking like eight to ten page business plan, is totally acceptable these days. But it helps you roadmap your ideas. It gives you something credible to present to microloan. Uh, funders or you know local banks that you could work with um, plus it helps you kind of iron out some of those ideas you know so I think you know, trouble, old trouble school shooting. as that sounds yeah like it's still worth the process um, and for the dreamers out there like if you know as best you can try to connect your right brain and your left brain and if you can't do it yourself find yourself a good left brain believer that also sees your same vision and uh, Man, get out there and connect those dots. Awesome, dude. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to let the guests know where to find you. I'll link up your website, your Instagram, all that good stuff. All right. Pleasure being on. Podcast listeners, thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Matt Monson as much as I did. You can check him out on Instagram at Matt Monsoon, that's M-A-T-T-M-O-N-S-O-O-N on Instagram. Also check out his website that he's working on, thesaltminer.com. And if you're enjoying the show, I hope you'll leave us a rating and also any type of feedback you have for us. I'd love to hear that as well. And uh, thanks for tuning in, guys.